In right. honor of our new world champion and world champions past, I have purchased some you... Takate. Oh boy. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. That's a reference to Dan Dargenio. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Sokka, cheers to you. Yes, cheers. I'm about to subject myself. Takate's not that bad. Throw some hot sauce on the rim. That is that is truly awful. It's genuinely better <laughs> if you throw some. Uh, I, I don't know. Get some Cholula on the rim. It's much better then. Are you telling uh, me that yeah. Dan Dargenio used to drink that? Yeah, there there is in fact a. Uh, I don't know if I'd say famous, but it's it's findable on Slack. Image that is the art of inside job with Dan Dargenio's face over his face and a bunch of Takate cans on the floor. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> the Dan side job, as as it's called. Oh, <laughs> it's like it's like somebody took the essence of beer mm-hmm. and like farted it out, <laughs> and then there was someone there to catch it and can it, and that's what Takata is. Like, oh my god, this is so bad. Why it's, did I do this? It's just a light beer. Like every other light beer is just that bad. I guarantee you. Open up a Miller Light. It is worse than what you just drank. So are you? I would rather drink gonna... Budweiser. Wow. Are you gonna be, are you gonna finish that whole thing by the end of the podcast? Oh, I've got four of them. Yeah, you better. I mean, so like the only saving grace of this beer, all right, for its price, it's still really bad. But <laughs> <laughs> not how I expected but, that to go. But for its price, it'll also get you drunk. So I mean, it's it's a buck fifty a can. Is how bad it is. is. And you get you get a whole pint like they don't short you at all. These are like tall boys. I can I can see why Dan likes these. They're but they're bad. Every beer of that price point is bad. I don't know why you bought them. Like I don't know why you looked at the price tag bottom and were like, man, these are going to be anything other than really bad. Well, I mean, I didn't think that. I just I okay. wanted to do the honorable thing and uh, drink the tr- traditional beer of champions. <laughs> all right, pick up Tabasco <laughs> front next of time. Like. Pick up Tabasco and some lime slices next time. It will make your night 10 times better because you will be tasting so, things that aren't Tecate. You just drop some hot sauce in there and squeeze a yeah. lime in and you're good to go? Yeah. All right. All right. I, I, I don't know if it. you're good to go, but it doesn't just it doesn't <laughs> just taste like light beer. And I wonder if it's true. Do I suck like I put the sock on? Hello and welcome back to the Slums Cast. I'm your co-host, Neuropanzer, Netrunner's deadest voice. And I'm Josh, aka Orbital Tangent, still Netrunner's okayest player. If you are stumbling upon the podcast for the first time, then it is a podcast. It is called the Slums Cast. Hopefully that's not news to you. This is a podcast about, this may be news to you, genuinely trying and spectacularly failing to be good at Netrunner. Well, actually we're challenging that premise a little bit today. We'll get into that in a second, but I do need to warn you before we go in, as I warn you every single week that we have this podcast, this podcast will not make you better at Netrunner, and it also will not make you a better person. However, we will be talking to someone who is pretty good at Netrunner. So, Josh, do you want to introduce someone who is actually good at Netrunner, unlike the two of us? No, absolutely not. Cut the feed. All right, I'm just kidding. Uh, so everybody go ahead and put your hands together, even though this is a pre-recorded medium. 
It's the Canadian national champion, the U.S. national champion, and your new 2022 world champion, William Huang, a.k.a. Sokka. Sokka, how the fuck are you doing? Hey, hey. Yeah, doing great. Worlds was the greatest experience, and man, I came back super, super tired and a bunch of schoolwork. So, Oof, yeah, that's doing good. We're recording this the Friday after Worlds, so it has been less than a week since Worlds ended, and I got back on Monday night, and I was like, I should have taken Tuesday off. I'm just going to be completely dead tomorrow, and sure enough, I was completely dead tomorrow, also the rest of the week, so I feel you there. I feel like I had the easy job. Josh, you were on your feet like literally the entire weekend. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you did not sit down at any point that entire weekend. Well, that's patently not true. I sat down a lot, but uh, didn't stay put for long. I ended up on the weekend at the end having somewhere around sixty-five to 70,000 steps. Jesus Christ. Most of them was, just in that one room. <laughs> I was up and down the hall, but I also I also did, uh, as our printers started to go down, Z-Bag, bless his soul, had brought us a printer to use for the judges station and also for proxies, but it decided that it, it really didn't like life halfway through the first day. So on Saturday, I hoofed it all the way to Best Buy and then hoofed it back. You got to tell that yeah. printer to choose life, man. Absolutely. I think we almost killed the cheap one that I bought, though. Oh, God. Believe it or not. You know, I'd be interested in uh, all the step counts of the judges, except they, they can only turn it on and turn it off when they're going to a judge call. And then when they get back to the table, they have to turn it off again. <laughs> you know who would have the most is is either going to be Thike or Yusengren. Every other judge call was one of theirs. So, mm. Damn. This is kind of a seasonal episode. We are in October. It is the spooky month. That means many people are probably going to expect some seasonal segments out of us on top of world stuff. And you know what? Here on the Slums cast, we may not have a pumpkin quarter or a pumpkin dime, but we do have a pumpernick. Are you okay, Pants? I'm just thinking over the life decisions that led to me starting that pun. There's a lot to think about. Okay. Does that mean that it's baking up Think Loves next? See, Josh, the thing is, that is one of those life decisions. Were we wrong to bake the Think Loaf? Were we wrong to split the atom? Were we wrong to crawl out of that primordial ocean? Who's to say, Josh? Who's to say? Uh. I really don't know how to respond to this turn of events or really any of what you have just said. I don't think we should do bacon up think We do that all the time. Let's use one of the less used ones. How um Smurfs up. We haven't done that one in a while. Smurfs up. So, Sokka, we have called you here today for the Smurfs up segment our segment about smurfing to discuss things that are actually completely unrelated to smurfing, such as how and when did you get into Netrunner? I got into Netrunner in 2014. Uh, I had a friend who I hung out with a lot. He owns this room full of board games and card games, uh, and we'd go to his place as a group and play. And he picked up Netrunner because he goes to our local board game store and so he got exposed to all these new games, and one of them was Netrunner, and he taught it to me. I learned Netrunner that summer, started off with some Magnum Opus Shaper, didn't know how to build any deck that didn't have Magnum Opus in it for a, a <laughs> good amount of time. 
And then I was introduced to Katie Jones. I was like, okay, I can play Katie Jones. And then I didn't know how to build a deck that didn't have Katie Jones in it for a good amount of time. <laughs> I, I started the game learning how to run and then it took me a while to even learn how to corp. Started going to the local meetups every week. We'd start like prepping for, for tournaments. The first tournament I played in, I played this shaper that just basically took every single thing that gave you MU. Akamatsu Mem chips and Q Coherence chips. Yo, Akamatsu's. Yep. And then we put three copies of Overmind and we broke subroutines with Overmind and E3 feedback implants and grappling hook. Um, it, it was not bad. I've, and I can't for the life of me remember what corp I played. Junior uh, origin story that I imagined. It, it basically took me about a year and a half to two years ish before I started, until I started placing on tournaments. I never really noticed like how many players were there, what other people were playing. And then when I started taking notice of that, Edmonton had a really, really good scene. Like we would have just normal GNKs and we'd get like 20, 25 people. Wow. And then we had like a store champ. I think that showed maybe 30 people. Once I um, won my first tournament, I basically took a Wayland deck and I put every card that said meat damage in it. Mm -hmm. And I managed to win all my games because I dealt enough meat damage to people. <laughs> um, I kind of did that for a long time. I think I started at Building a Better World, and then I went to Titan, and then mm -hmm. I went to Gagarin. A uh, story with that is I was playing against Cody, who's somebody in Edmonton. People like were well aware that I that I like to play punitive Counter-Strike. So mm -hmm. I, I had this like Gagarin deck where I would I'd just DBS and DBS and DBS and get a lot of money off assets and just keep my agendas away, and I would keep the government takeover in my hand, and I'd bottom all the other agendas. And then by the time that I've got a bunch of money and some tour guides that I found, I would start advancing this government takeover with three punitive counter-strikes in hand. And people knew that that was going on. So Cody played against me and had this Anarch deck that had Plasgreet and three copies of I've Had Worse. And he had all of that. God. Five cards in hand, Plasgreet on the board, three copies of I've Had Worse in hand. That math is 18 hit points, which is enough to survive a triple punitive uh, government takeover steal that that <laughs> happened and that that was a really 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 fun story that i like to tell as much as i like to say plastic carapace was a fucked up card 18 meat damage is fucked up i guess you <laughs> need a fucked up card to deal with that yeah and then from there i yeah played consistently um and then in 2019 there was canadian nationals canadian nationals happened in edmonton what i was just super lucky for like i was in no position to travel to go for big events and it was always something that i've wanted to do and when nationals came to me, uh, I was really, really fortunate. Well, when I won Canadian Nationals, I kind of felt a little bit more involved in like the bigger competitive scene. But then it wasn't really until until COVID happened and, mm -hmm. and all the tournaments started happening online. And that really helped me a lot in getting better and in playing in big tournaments. That's actually a good segue. So uh, although we're not really talking about smurfing, obviously, we, we do have to have the smurf theme here. So we have a bonus barcode here. I guess a way that this segment's partially related to smurfing is that a large amount of the time that you've been a household name in Netrunner communities coincides with the era where most of the big events were online on Jinteki.net. I'm curious specifically about Jinteki.net here. Do you have any favorite JNet memories? Oh, yeah. Sometimes I get questions and I'm like, oh, shoot, I have no idea what to say. But this time that moment happened and then yeah. I immediately... In 2020 worlds, there was a thimble rig bug where when you moved your thimble rig, it would duplicate the ice that you were moving it with. It wasn't something that the runner would actually encounter, but it's just like a visual bug where mm -hmm. it looks like there's a piece of ice there, but actually there isn't. So what was this? Round two? Yeah, round two. I think I had a round one by round two. I'm against, I don't remember who. 
and the stream was there and I was like, okay, we're going to come watch this game. And then the first time I moved the thimble rig, this bug happened. You swap the thimble rig and then it just creates this new visual bug of another piece of ice. So we were like trying to figure that out. We couldn't. And we sat around trying to figure how to proceed for so long that the stream left. It was just me and my opponent and I think a judge or two. I realized that this piece of ice was actually just a visual bug and it's actually mm -hmm. not impacting the actions that we can take. So when I install another piece of ice, it just pushes that ice forward, the glitched <laughs> ice. But again, it doesn't actually like cost you an extra credit. It, it doesn't count for the strength of surveyor or what have you. So basically we continued the game and we we're just like, okay, we're just going to note down which ice doesn't actually <laughs> exist. <laughs> and, and we're just going to remember that, even though we can visually see that there's ice there. My hat is off to Noah and the team on JNet. They have a tough job. Netrunner is oh, yeah. really complicated, but that's really funny. Don't mind me with all of my fake ice at Worlds. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember looking on Slack and, and Noah and maybe Lost Geek. They knew about this bug, but they just couldn't figure out how to replicate it. Mm. So it was happening, but they didn't know why. You know, anybody listening, if you play on JNet, it really, you should buck report anything that you can that you find that's glitched because that makes the online tournament experience that much better. Really what they need is they, they need data and like steps to reproduce. Little shameless plug there for them. Well, I mean, I also shout out the bug command, which I didn't know existed until fairly recently. But if, they, if you run into a bug, yeah, if you run into a bug, you can, there's a command where you can type slash bug oh. and it will send a report about a bug that happened and it will save your replay. Even if you oh, did yeah. not originally save your replay, it will now save your replay and submit it along with the bug report. That's a great feature. Props to the dev team. The more you know. Look at us using our platform for good. We have another bonus barcode here. What is your favorite ID? Mm, what is my favorite ID? That's tough because there's like a lot of, there's a lot of really good IDs that basically warp the game a lot. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to be, we're going to be a little spicy. My favorite ID is probably Mati. Red tree. Uh, now that doesn't mean that I want it to be legal in the game. <laughs> Let me just clarify that. <laughs> that is, that is my favorite ID, but that does not mean I want it to be standard legal. When, when it came out, this was around the time where I wasn't like I hadn't really won big tournaments and I was really trying to figure out where I stood among like all the other players that I play with and also all the players that play in big events that I can't really get to. And when Mati came out, I was really going through all these thoughts of what can you do with this ID? And it I really, really like the flexibility of what Mati offers in the sense that you can use it to spam remotes. You're basically protecting a bunch of remotes that actually have no ice installed. And you can use it as a glacier deck where you can just install your ice, but then Mati can add another ice at the end. So not only is that uncertainty as to how much money it might cost to break a remote, you might add a border control there. And in addition to all those like strategic considerations, it also just saves you money. So mm -hmm. if you have like mm -hmm. three or four ice on the remote, you can just install another ice. It doesn't cost you any money when you use your ID. So yeah, the fact that it ignores all costs is so busted. It's also saving you a click, which is yeah. not yeah. insignificant either. Yeah, it's, 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 it's extremely busted. Like the, there is a reason this ID is banned. Exactly. There are many reasons this ID is banned. I agree with Sokka <laughs> in that it's very fun and very strategic. I mean, I, I play it at Worlds. It's a fun deck. It's also just... It shouldn't be yeah. playable. You shouldn't be able to do it. Correct. It should stay banned. But one of the most fun things in Netrunner ever had to be spidering people. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, spidering people was just really fun. It's like, oops, it's the spider. What are you going to do? 
I mean, you could. Oops, it's a cortex lock too. That that thing costs yeah, you that two bucks. Good. That feels really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I feel like I didn't explore the glacier capabilities of Mati as as well as I would have liked, and I mainly used it as as kind of like a rush deck. Mm. I would just install assets or or brain trusts, Philotics. Like I basically just filled my deck with three twos. Uh, I could just install naked agendas, and then I can score them off the board because you can't run. Because if you run, I can ice it now. And also like there's like the interesting interactions with Excalibur, where they have to hit the Excalibur and then they can't run for the rest of the turn. Yeah, there's just so, so much you can do with that ID. That would probably be my favorite ID. You mentioned you played Mati at Worlds. How many copies of Inazuma did you have in your Mati deck? I will answer your question with a question. What does Inazuma do? <laughs> Excuse? Inazuma is a Inazuma is a three res, five strength Jinteki code gate that was in Honor and Profit that has two subroutines. One subroutine says the runner cannot break any subroutines on the next piece of ice they encounter this run. And the mm-hmm. other subroutine says it's either can't check out for the remainder of the run or can't check out until they encounter the next piece of ice. As you might guess from the fact that I had no idea what it did, the answer is zero. Okay. That, that's yeah. kind of cool, though. You have that innermost, and then it's not actually innermost, and you make him encounter something nasty. Exactly. I, I loved this about Mati and about this interaction with Inazuma. You can install Inazumas, because Inazumas, like like Chum, is a positional ice. It improves yeah. the next ice, and those ice are usually really hard to justify including in your deck. Yeah. Because if you draw them early, they do nothing. If you draw Inazuma early in Mati, you just install it wherever you want ice. And when the runner runs, you res this three res five strength two sub ice and they read the subs and they go, if I let this fire, you might install something really nasty behind it. I'm going to break it. So then they break this three res five strength two sub code gate, which is really, really good stats. That costs Anarch approximately $1 million. Right, like- exactly. And then they continue the run and now you don't even need to use Mati. Like the ice doesn't even need to be there. I've done this multiple times where they encounter an Inazuma and I don't have any ice in my hand and they break the Inazuma and they continue (laughs) to run. That's evil. I love that. That's that's so sick. That's galaxy brain right there. Because I I always thought that ice was super terrible, which is why I can't. It usually is because usually you don't have T's ability. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. I mean, if you're any sort of good player, like air quotes here, you look at that and you go, Oh, if you have a bad player that like runs aggressively and like runs everywhere and doesn't consider all the strategic options, they might call you out and catch you out. One part of deciding what play you make is actually, at least in my mind, is actually assessing how good you think the opponent is. Because if your opponent thinks on like the surface and doesn't think about those extra mind games, then you need to understand that. Whereas if they do think about those many different levels of mind games, then you also need to understand that. And you need to then understand like which level they're on in order for you to decide what kind of play you make. Absolutely. Absolutely. Abram has actually talked about this in some of his winning stream plays. Why did you go for the Beal there instead of the super safe QPM behind your Raven? God, that's one of the sickest plays I've ever mm-hmm. seen. I know the play you're talking about. And he goes, well, because they know I'm going to do that. So I pretend like I'm going to do that, but it's actually the Beal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're corping, and your opponent is on game point, and they have mm-hmm. like five points, and you have maybe two, and you're playing sports metal. Nobody installs 
a naked agenda in that situation, <laughs> except for the person that understands that you understand nobody installs a naked agenda in that situation. So then they don't check. And one really good way of thinking about this is like NGO front. If mm-hmm. you have exactly five credits or if you're pretty low on credits, or maybe you even have four credits and you have an NGO and you have an agenda in your hand, or maybe your opponent knows you have NGO in your deck and you have an agenda in your hand. Like you could just install double advance this agenda and it just looks like an NGO because there's no reason to double advance when you have less than three credits left because next yeah. turn you're not threatening triple advance score five three so then next turn you start your turn you go like double advance and like score your four two that you just put on the board and that <laughs> will work against people who are expecting that right? clearly i cannot choose the wine in front of me I got two more questions here in the Smurf sub segment, which again, on the theme of Smurfing, we're going to have this be a bonus two barcode to Smurf. First question, you create Netrunner content. You have a YouTube channel, you have a stream. I'm curious, why create Netrunner content? What draws you to that? I really wanted to interact with the community in a meaningful way. And one way that I saw could be a very useful method of doing that is I noticed that there are a lot of streams, a lot of very good streams and good content out there that are focused towards newer players. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt that there was a space in the Netrunner content field, if you will, where Mm -hmm. you can kind of make some content that is more more focused on competitive play, focused more on competitive strategy, and is not just for beginners. I really wanted to interact with the community was was basically the reason that I that I wanted to stream. And I feel like I have a good enough ability in terms of coming up with with content in order to create something that people would watch. If I kind of position my content past beginners and more towards like people who understand the rules, understand the game, understand the vast majority of the card pool. And they're ideally watching my stream for strategy and for competitive Mm -hmm. plays for how to go about building a deck and to make it the best and how to go about navigating games and just talking through my thoughts, my thought process on, on how to pilot, how to deck build. I have to say that's a fun niche to be in. It isn't exactly the same because obviously we we try to explain some things that really you would explain to a newer player, but a lot of what you do when you're commentating lives in that space too. Obviously, you understand that. You also do commentary. I, I will say this might have played a big role into, I guess, why I wanted to stream. I'm sure we're all familiar with, with Andre's stream, Metropole Grid. Andre does a really, really good job of explaining everything. Mm-hmm. When he plays a card, when his opponent plays a card, he'll read the card out. This is what the card does. Here's why this card is important. If your opponent's playing Econ Warfare, they probably have yeah. editing news, something like that. That's obviously really, really important content to have because as new players come into the game, they need something like that where they're able to watch this content and understand everything that's going on. As somebody who already understands that, like I feel like there's a lot of time that is spent on that mm-hmm. stream that is that is going over stuff that that you might already know. And again, that's not a bad thing for the stream. It's just that I I saw that there's probably more people out there like me. They wanted that next level of like competitive yeah. content that wasn't fully focused on new player experience and new player content. So kind of felt like there was there was that market there. Yeah. <laughs> Felt like that was something that that I'd be able to fill. In a sense, it's like by like defining what all the cards do, by defining the basic elements of strategy, that's giving you the building blocks. Now, I just want to build the castle. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of people have asked me online or in person, like I'm a new player. What kind of Netrunner content would you recommend? Mm-hmm. And I have never recommended my channel in that situation. I've always recommended Misangrin or Metropole Grid. And then maybe later on, once they're looking to play standard and once, once they have a good grasp of the rules, how the game works, then it might be more beneficial for them to then come and and watch my stream. 
I think it's interesting that you chose that as your niche as it comes to strategy as completely different end of the spectrum. I feel like we at the Slums cast have that as our niche, but not for strategy, just more about esoteric <laughs> deep lore and shitposting. You need to have invested at least five years in Stim Slack to understand all of our references. Not even just Stim Slack, like a lot of the Netrunner community, we're kind of far reaching as far as our memes and shitposting go. The second question that I have here is, do you think that you've learned anything from creating Netrunner content in the specific niche that you're in? Or do you think you've gotten, I hate to use the word tangible here, but like tangible benefits from it? At the very least, I've learned how supportive and how yeah. great the Netrunner community is. Can I articulate? I mean, just the ability to, to talk and mm -hmm. present something, I think is very, very useful. It's something that I, that I do work on even while I'm streaming or after I'm streaming or before, like I'll make notes for myself, certain things that I will try to do less of. See, I'd mention it, but then that's all people will hear. So <laughs> I'm not going to, but there's like certain things when you're talking to do less of, to do more of, and just making the way that you talk flow a bit better. The more I practice speaking in front of an audience, uh, even if it's a, a digital audience that is synchronous or not synchronous, mm -hmm. I think it is definitely a, a very tangible benefit. I think people underrate because it's very easy to underrate how difficult it is to talk about something that you are currently doing. It is oh, extraordinarily yeah. difficult. I will say that when I play in online tournaments, I used to always talk out loud to myself anyways. It, it's just that I, I wouldn't fully explain something the way that I do now when yeah. I'm streaming. So so yeah, it definitely is something that can take away from your focus on the game. It can be difficult to do at times, which is why I kind of position my my content in the way that I do is I make sure that everything that I do say out loud and that I explain, like I won't go out of my way to say it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So so something yeah. like seeing a card and and kind of like reading out the card text of that card is like won't be something that I that I would do in my streams, but just like explaining the overall strategy as to what I'm trying to do here, where I'm trying to apply pressure. That kind of stuff I do add on when I'm streaming, but there's certain other stuff that I that I kind of just do naturally. If I'm just thinking through the math of a run, yeah. I will I will say that out loud. I think that's enough of the preliminaries. I think we should talk about worlds, right? Right pants. It's time. All things in due time, Josh. I'm still thinking over life decisions here. I mean, we're were we wrong to Akamatsu with a mem chip? Uh yes, we were definitely wrong to Akamatsu mem chip. Not on my fucking watch. In that case, what segment should we do then? You can't go wrong with an offer you can't refuse. An offer you can't refuse. Okay, that's fair. All right, well, this week on An Offer You Can't Refuse, let's talk about an event with a sweet, sweet siren call that cannot be refused, Worlds 2022. Saka, you did pretty well at Worlds, right? I, I think so. Yeah. I okay. Well, in that case, it sounds like probably a good topic to discuss. I'd actually like to start off by rewinding the clock to before Worlds itself, to, to when you were prepping for the event. I'd like to start off by talking about your corp deck. We remarked on stream a few times that this felt like you spilled a PD deck into your sports ID or something along those lines. How did you end up deciding you wanted to play that very PD-ish sports list? At the end of August, everybody basically knew that there was going to be a new ban list that would be released. 
And like I was doing intercontinentals, I was doing Canadian nationals. And then after that, it was sit and wait until this ban list comes out. Oh, like I sat and I waited and people in my testing group played in German nationals while I sat and waited. <laughs> when the new ban list released, they banned Rizeki, banned PadTap, and they brought back 419. So I was concerned about Corp because I felt that Bochico that was out there, you can make a couple edits to that. That's still strong. APOC Lat is extremely strong and I was doing really well with that. So I was just like, we're going to figure out how to how to play Corp. And this was how much time we had, like a month, three weeks, figuring out corpse. So I started off with R plus because I was like, okay, I can just play some restores and figured out that Kakarenbo saves you a credit. So then I played Kakarenbos and <laughs> I was very strong on the playing boom in the deck is bad because it's a win more card you don't need. That wasn't quite doing it because it seemed like everybody was teching against R plus, but it was mm -hmm. like something that I keep in my back pocket because I don't actually need to test R plus that much because I've already played it so much that if I were to just play the deck, I understand how to play the deck. So let's figure out some other corp options. And really, there wasn't anything out there. Glaciers were losing to Boat Chico. And Bridgman tested Runner and then tested Corp. And then he came up with PE. And I didn't have enough time to try the mm. PE, which is why I didn't play it. Had it been the other way, maybe I would be on PE. Or maybe he would have come up with something entirely different. But anyways, he started playing Runner. So all my testing for Corp, I was playing against random people on Jinteki.net, assorted people in the testing group. But when every time I played against Bridgman, it was against this Hoshiko deck, which was really, really good and wrecking. I think my first thing that I kind of went to was some kind of glacier, played some played some Earth Station Glacier with transport monopolies. So you mm. try to like seamless launch. Oh, wow. and, and there was many iterations of this Earth Station. But I think the best iteration of the Earth Station was playing nine agendas with transport monopoly and seamless launch. Mm. So you kind of create wow. scoring windows with your ID because you can just flip your ID and suddenly it costs six bucks and you can kind of put an agenda out there. Maybe it's protected by a piece of ice. Maybe it's not. If you can like seamless launch a transport monopoly, you actually beat a lot of decks because of that. Counter surveillance Zaya huh. can't counter surveillance. APOC decks can't APOC because they have to run two centrals. And then when they run the third one, you use your counter. So they'll spend all this money running the other two centrals. And then, then you can't run the last one. You also have Chris and Gris in your deck. And even something as simple as playing Dirty Laundry, like you can't do that either because you spend a click and two credits to play your Dirty Laundry. It's on an empty archives, but I can use my transfer monopoly counter and you don't get your money off the Dirty Laundry. So that deck was quite good, but it kind of fell short to Anarch. Endurance and Botulus just kind of broke through ice a bit too efficiently. And you mm -hmm. had to draw your Akats and you had to draw your Afshars. So it was really difficult. And then we started playing a Builder of Nations. I was hmm. very close to bringing Builder of Nations to Worlds. It was basically this Glacier Grinder deck out of Builder yep. of Nations, which I think a lot of people would tell you that's a meme. It might be. But if Worlds was a week earlier, I would have showed up at Worlds with Builder Nations. Wow. And basically that deck was pretty much the Earth Station deck, except it wasn't playing Seamless Launch. And we had like two Bladder Warts in there just to try to wow. make the opponent run. So if you run, you take a meat damage off Builder Nations and you spend a bunch of money breaking my expensive ice that has a lot of advancement counters on it. And then you trash the Bladder Wart. And if you don't run, then I deal a net damage to you every turn with Bladder mm -hmm. Wart. Gross. But that deck, it kind of turtles out. And again, you got the ice breaking issue. You have to play like really carefully around Hippo, around Botulus, around, around Boat. And then like sometimes you just kind of, your deck just kind of runs out. You have to score before your deck runs out, which is kind of what happened with the Egg Infusion decks that showed up at Worlds. So basically I was thinking from there, like what can I do to beat this Boat Hoshiko deck? 
kind of came all the way back to PD. People were playing PD as a way of countering boat already, the continental season. So I basically picked up the PD deck that was played by Rust Rider at German Nationals. A quick side tangent, the day before German Nationals, they played Crown of Servers. I think it translates to King of Germany. I'm not going to try to pronounce what, what it says in German, but they played this team tournament and Arndt, who's Rust Rider, he basically played a corp deck that wasn't PD. And then he called hmm. me that night and he was like, I don't like my corp deck. And I was like, okay, well, here's a, well, here's a PD deck. I think PD is really good. You can play this. So he played that. I think he, he finished in the top eight. So I basically took that deck. I was like, okay, I want to put a third next activation command in here. I mean, that's pretty much all I did was play third next activation command. And then like put some border controls, played that on JNet for maybe a day. There were some issues with the deck, really hard to kind of articulate what that was. And I was on a call with Brandon, also known as the King. And he was basically like, okay, well, I'm going to take this. I'm going to try it in sports metal. And when he said that his, his intention was tomorrow or, or the day after he's going to craft a sports metal deck in his head and then try that. And then on the spot, I was like, oh no, actually, hang on. I think that's a great idea. Let's build that right now. Mm -hmm. So I took the PD deck and we kind of like trimmed it down to make it a sports metal deck. But we kept the three next activation command. We cut a couple ice. We put in some three biotics and the two audacities. We're talking about the agenda suite a lot. And we got to that one bifurcation, one off-world suite that I really like at the end of the day. It just covered up a lot of PD's weaknesses, we felt. Mm -hmm. And specifically, PD kind of has to score all its agendas from the remote. And you could play the one audacity, one biotic, like the snare bears did, but mm -hmm. you only have two cards to fast events. Like you have mm -hmm. to score out of your remote. But with Sports Metal, if you can rush one agenda with an X activation command, you can very reasonably fast advance for the rest of the game. And even if you don't rush an agenda with your next activation command, like if you're playing against Criminal and you just ice up and just fast advance, you can do that as well. Hmm. So I really, really like the flexibility of this sports. And we wanted to put in a second Mavericks. And in order to do that, we had to cut a biotic. That's actually not that big of a loss because we found that we kind of focus the early part of the game on next activation command and on scoring off the board with our seamless mm -hmm. launches. So we would do that. And then we transition into a fast advance phase. And that whole explanation of switching from PD to sports metal and then refining the sports metal list to what I to what I played was three or four days before the event, probably right up to the wire, like Sunday or Monday of that week. <laughs> and then I flew out on Thursday. Wow. I'm curious, why did sports end up being better? The game plan you just described, in theory, you could do that out of PD and you can recur your fast advanced tools or something like that. Why was it better for it to actually be out of sports? If you think about what PD does with Next Activation Command, Next Activation Command, when you play it, a vast majority of the time says you cannot run this turn. You cannot break my Ansel. You cannot break my Fairchild 3. It, usually it's those two pieces of ice. And the PD spends influence on border controls. Does that actually synergize? I think the answer is no. Border control only works well with next activation command if they're actually spending a bunch of money breaking the ice and then you border control them and then they have to spend a bunch of money breaking the ice again. Mm -hmm. But if you think of next activation command as a rush piece, they probably don't have enough money to break the fair child to break the ants in the first place. So border control kind of looks like a, a waste of influence because if you can just score agendas off next activation command, there's not that much that border control is doing for you aside from protecting your centrals from APOC. When you make the switch to sports metal, you can play a second audacity. You can play a faster agenda suite because you play more copies of three twos in the form of mega pre-qualifier. You're not susceptible to APOC because against PD, you will just get wrecked by APOC. 
I did that in the cut playing playing APOC Lat. And I also did that the day before in Crown of Servers as well, playing against the same PD. And the other issue with PD is that it also has a bad crim matchup. Early game money is just so under pressure if you're up against mm-hmm. a, a 419. When I was testing the PD, that was one of the big issues that I had was that every time I ran up against 419, it just felt like I was losing. Like I had to spend the first turn installing ice on HQ and then they would poke it. And then you have to decide if you want to spend all your money resing and then they're going to play a diversion of funds. And then by that time, you've like lost two agendas and you have no board. That idea that Brandon had about playing this out of sports metal instantly clicked with me because it solves both of those problems. In the Crim matchup, you can just play fast advance. In the APOC matchup, you're not as susceptible to APOC. Yeah, like it just made a whole lot of sense. And also PD recurs like seamless launches. And I think everybody's really familiar with PD recurring seamless launches. But when I was playing the sports metal, like you really only need to play the seamless launches once. If you just focus on scoring off the board once or twice, then fast advancing the rest, that works better than what PD is able to do, which is recur seamless launches and install more agendas on the board. And at the same time, you're getting sports metal triggers, which is just yeah. icing on top. So with the insight on border control, I have to ask about two cards in particular. One which gained some notoriety during the event itself, being in a whole other faction and a whole other deck. Loki, there is no main Garum, and I'm, I'm wondering what's up with that. Skunkworks on its own is just an okay card. You used to play Skunkworks because it combos so well with Anoetic Void. Mm-hmm. And when you don't play Anoetic Void in PD, which I know that Gronkhoff did not play Void. I think Greg did play Void. So I don't know, like there was disagreement there on whether or not you play Void. But without Void, you just have Skunkworks on its own. It's just not that good. Your opponent can spend two clicks clicking through the Skunkworks. You spent two credits resing it. They spent three to trash. Like it seems favored, but oftentimes if that's the exchange, you didn't get enough value out of your card. Specifically in Sports Metal, Skunkworks just, it's an upgrade to your server and it basically means you have to use your server. Again, sometimes you might just fast advance. You could definitely put it on the central. I guess there isn't really like a great way of answering why there's no Skunkworks other than every other card in the deck is better. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's fair. Like slots. Yeah. All of Sokka's cards are better than Skunkworks. You heard it here first. Loki. So there's a lot of really cool things about Loki that I will explain, but this is all technically theory. All of the testing, all the prep for this deck. Again, we came up with this sports medal, really want to say on Monday before Worlds. I played it for like two days. And in that iteration of the deck, we had three Fairchilds, one Ansel, no Loki. And I had three drafters. Basically what I found was drafter doesn't end the run. When you play next activation command, they can just walk through it. So I really felt like I wanted something that ended the run or like pseudo ends the run like Ansel, because when I play my next activation command, I want to have something like that that is impactful that they have to break. So that's why I got to the point where I played three Fairchild threes and two copies of Ansel. And the reason there's two Ansels and not threes because Fairchild three on turn one is really good because you can just install Fairchild, install Rashida behind it, take a credit. Mm-hmm. And if they run, you res the Fairchild, you go to zero. And then they click through it, they trash your Rashida. But next turn, you can like credit, credit and put something in the remote. With Ansel, you can't quite do that because your opponent can just click the last sub. But Ansel's really good late because a lot of Anarch decks that I was playing against cut to one MK Ultra. I think the vast majority of Anarchs probably multiple barrier breakers, multiple code gate breakers, but they had one MK Ultra. And they also complemented that with like Botulus and with, with Endurance. But if you have a next activation commanded Ansel, they have to find their one copy of MK Ultra. And if they can find their one copy of MKUltra, 
they need to install it and then they need to pay like a million credits, right? So I definitely wanted two Ansels. And then the low key was really a last last minute edition day before. There's a lot of subs on Loki. If you copy an Ansel, copy Fairchild, it's got four subs. If you have Endurance installed, you have to spend four bow counters. As opposed to on Fairchild, you can spend two counters and then let one of the subs fire. And on Ansel, same thing. You can spend two bow counters and then you can click the last sub. But Loki forces you to spend four bow counters. It is, I say slightly, but this slight amount is significant, is that it is worse against Black Orchestra and MK, MK Ultra because if you copy the subs from Ansel or Fairchild, it costs MK and Black Orchestra two boosts to break all. So it is mm -hmm. worse when they're actually breaking with their bin breakers. And then the other thing is just that it's a mythic. So if you don't have any ice res, they can't get through it unless they shuffle their whole hand away. And if they shuffle their whole hand away, I told this to Pants already, you could die to a Mavericks. And there's two Mavericks in the deck. <laughs> So if you ever need uh, to YOLO, then you... God, I wish that had been how Worlds ended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You install your Loki and you install Mavericks and they go run and then you res your Loki. They shuffle their whole hand away and they die to a Mavericks. Commit to access. Uh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Commit to access, res Mavericks. The funny thing is, like, I think a lot of people don't even think about the fact that Mavericks does a net damage. It's just a blank card other than yeah. Perch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If that ever happens, like you probably res the Mavericks and then they think that you're just showing it to them because they're accessing it. So they'll be like, okay, yeah, I'll trash it. And then you click and then you have to clarify. You're like, oh no, no, I'm actually. No, no, you're, you're actually dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're, we're going to game two now. <laughs> the other really oh, no. cute thing. So Loki says, when you encounter Loki, copy the subtype and the subs on another piece of ice. And if it's the mm -hmm. runner's turn, the runner's on encounter abilities happen first. So if you have a Fairchild 3 on HQ and an Ansel on R&D and a Loki on your remote and they run your remote, oh, you can res God. your Loki and copy an Ansel or a Fairchild and your opponent cannot install oh. the breaker to break it because oh, they're Anarch and they're sick. playing Conspiracy Breaker. That's sick. So that would be like the dream scenario where you have Fairchild and Ansel res because now they have to install their Black Orchestra and their MK before they run the Loki because they don't know which one you're going to copy. And in the meantime, like they just ate the subs once because you just resed it. They can't install their breaker. So they have like 30 credits and all three bin breakers in the bin, but they you res Loki, they can't break it and they have to eat a bunch of subs. I think Axwell, who was playing the exact deck that I was playing, and I unfortunately had to knock him out of the cut in the tiebreaker rounds. In Swiss, he had a Loki on the remote and an Ansel on R&D. So his opponent had to run the Ansel to install the MK from the bin, break the Ansel, and then run the Loki. Disgusting. Absolutely Ooh. disgusting. Everything <laughs> that I just went over, aside from this last part, because it did happen at least once with Axwell, this is basically all theory because none of this was tested. I didn't really test Loki in on JNet or prior to Worlds at all. And during Worlds itself, I think I installed Loki twice, but I never resed it. <laughs> That's just a matter of circumstance. Like I think I installed the Loki, but they never ran. But if they had run, I would have resed. Um, so it's not like I didn't res because it was bad. It just happened that they never ran the Loki. Yeah. I'd like to switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the APOC lat list. There's one thing that really stands out to me. I, you told this story on the stream and I believe also on, on, on your YouTube recap. I think it's worth going over again because in my opinion, this is just like one of those classic world champ moves. Yep. You cut a pretty signature card from that deck. Yep. Tell us about that. 
I'll start off by just talking about APOC Latin, how I got there. And this story is much shorter than Sports Battle. We were going into Intercontinental. Control that was a thing, like three Rizeki, three PedTap, great deck. And Bridgman played it and he stuck with it. One Intercons and one German Nats with it. I really felt that APOC was the way to go because there were people that were starting to play next activation command PD. They were starting to tech against the control at, and it definitely existed at intercons. I played against one Bridgman managed to dodge it. APOC Latin, in my mind was, this is a good deck. And going into the new ban list, I already knew like this deck is really good. And when the ban list came out, it basically meant that I couldn't play to pad taps, but in the deck that I played at intercons and at Canadian nationals, I only had two copies of APOC and I had three pad taps. And I, oftentimes felt like I wanted a third APOC anyways. When the ban list committee said, we're going to ban pad tab. And I said, great, I will just cut the pad tabs and play a third APOC. Like I kind of wanted to do that already. So I cut the three pad tabs, but a third APOC. I think I put in like a third breaking up another into the depths. I, I don't quite remember what the addition was. The second the, the ban list came out, I made a couple edits to the deck and then I, it sat there. And then I think on my stream, I streamed, I think two weeks before Worlds. I did play the APOC lot once on that stream. And that was just the list that I had. And from there, I decided that I didn't want two pawn shops because I was seeing it too much and I really didn't have that many pawn shop targets. And I mm -hmm. felt like I wanted a second N'Golo. So we cut a pawn shop, put in a second N'Golo, and that was the list. If you notice from my story about Corp, I focused so much on Corp that I really never played runner. And I did my stream two weeks before Worlds. That was the only runner I played prepping for Worlds pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> because I was I was so focused on trying to figure out a good corp deck. So in my mind, I was going to play this like weird control at at Crown of Servers with fermenters, port some fermenters, and we're going to play simul chips, and we're basically going to install fermenters over and over again. In my mind, I was like, I'm going to play APOC Lat in the main event, but I don't want to tell people I'm going to play APOC Lat in the main event. So right. I'm going to play this other Lat. The day before I left on my flight, I was like, I should actually play some runner games. So I opened JNet and I played some, <laughs> I played some APOC Lat and I was like, oh my goodness, okay, I actually need to practice this deck. So at Crown of Service, I decided to play the APOC Lat. I think there's more gain in me practicing the deck for the whole day at Crown of Servers. Mm -hmm. Throughout this whole thing, something that was in on my mind was Clot and two copies of Simulchip are three cards that are dead cards in every matchup except for sports. Oh, well, every matchup except in matchups where fast events is relevant, which is mm -hmm. basically sports. Ben Blum and Jay Dang yeah. played some ob fast events. The issue with this is that I am an APOC deck. So even in the matchups where I want clot and I want simul chip, I still need to time it right. So I can't just throw that stuff on the board. So it's really, really hard to try to navigate clot while APOCing. And oftentimes you have to do one or the other. So I really wanted to cut those three cards, played some test games, maybe even before the ban list dropped. Can I play APOC Lat without Clot? And the answer was no, because I tested against some sports medals. It felt awful. I was like, okay, I'm going to keep Clot. I'm going to keep these two simul chips. And then pretty much at Crown of Servers, that's what I played. I played a Clot and two simul chips. I started getting really worried about my runner because I was thinking that people are going to tech against APOC. I was like, I can cut my clot and my two simul chips for a second pinhole, second mad dash, and a deuce is wild. And that's going to smooth out every matchup except for the fast advanced matchups. My deck is going to be significantly worse against the fast advanced decks, but is that a risk that I'm willing to take? And everybody around me was saying, no, you shouldn't do it. That's absolutely crazy. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> and I wasn't Hashtag going to. The clot. I showed up that morning on Saturday, and I've I've been like thinking about it for the whole last twelve hours since Crown of Servers, whether or not I make this change. Lining up to to hand you my deck. Next person, next person, next person. There's like three people left in the line. You know what? We're just gonna channel my inner Yomi, and we're not gonna pair up against Sports Metal. So <laughs> I took the deck list out, took out my pen, and we crossed out Clot. We crossed out two Simul Chips on the final table. This was the final opportunity for me to write something because, like, once I got past that table, then it was the judges' table. Cross out Clot. You cross out Simul Chip. Son of a bitch. <laughs> and we put in a second pinhole, second Mad Dash, and a Deuce Wild. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna dodge Sports Medals. Were and you worried when you saw 41 sports medal as like so the I, most common corp ID? <laughs> so I handed the deck list in and we went over to sit next to Brandon in round one. Only Bridgman knew I made this change because he was standing next to me, like telling Brandon and he's like, oh my goodness, you're crazy. Nobody will ever tell you in your face that that was a bad decision you made because you had already locked it in. Right. Yeah. So you already locked this thing in. Like they're not going to tell you that you're an idiot, but that's what was, that's what they were trying to say in their minds is that they're saying it without saying it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, but they're, but they're like nice Brandon's enough. the type of person that would just say it, but um, it's a little different when it's the world championships and you've already locked in the deck. And list, you've right? locked in your decks. You can't change yeah. a thing. That's fair. Um, yeah. You can't influence this decision. The decision was already made. I asked Bridgman and Brandon, after I had won the tournament, at the start of this day, when I crossed out those cards and cut the clot and put in the second pinhole, second man dash and the deuces, did you think I would win the tournament? And Bridgman was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> My faith was gone. Yeah, no, it was. He was, he was completely honest. He was like, no, I did not think that you would do that well. <laughs> So yeah, when, when I looked at the deck ID distribution and I saw 41 sports, like compared to the other numbers, it was a big number because it was like 41 sports. And then the second place one was like 15 PD yeah. and it was 15 egg infusion. And I was like, wow, 40, there's a big difference between 41 and 15. Oh no. And I was scared. I should not have cut this clot because there's 41 whole sports medals here. And then I realized there's 158 players. That's 25%. 25%. You know what? We can dodge. You just gotta high roll it. Yeah, we can dodge 25%. Come on. <laughs> and the answer is no, you can't dodge 25%. I did get paired against two sports medals in Swiss, and I did beat both of them. You just install your Stargate and you you do have a second mad dash now, now that I've made that mm -hmm. cut. So it's like it's not totally like it hurts the sports medal matchup quite a bit, but mad dash brings it back a little because you you have mm -hmm. mad dash more consistently. You just find your Stargate, you hit your Stargate, you rip some one and fives out of HQ, and you can win the game. <laughs> and that's what happened. I beat the two sports medals that I was paired against. So cutting the clot and cutting the silences was 100% the right choice. You heard it here first. Sokka endorsed play, always cut clot if sports is one fourth of the meta. Yeah, 25%. 25%, That's you can dodge that. That's so easy. Hashtag unslot the clot. I think every player that was coming into this with high hopes of doing well understood that they knew that sports model was going to be popular, but they didn't think it would make it to top tables. So they knew that a lot of players would play sports, 
but it's it's like people would know how to play against it. A lot of players like panic to sports metal. Those players will likely not do as well. So as long as you stay at top tables, you'll probably avoid seeing the sports, which is like I played against the sports metal in round three when I was four and oh. So that wasn't true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, again, rip some one and fives. Uh, Deer was my round six opponent and Deer was playing sports metal. And I remember I had no intention of running HQ that turn, but sometimes you just have an extra click, especially as lat. Sometimes Sometimes you just have an extra click and you just make a run somewhere because you don't want to draw because you're going to draw at the end of the turn with your ID. So in planning out my turn, I, I need to make a run somewhere. I also have a boat installed, so I really should make a run somewhere. So we ran HQ and I was never going to run again. I'm just running once. That's the excess click that I have. That's the boat counter that I'm getting. And we roll our die. We rip a one in five Vitruvius. And then next turn, Deer biotics out a Hyperloop. And that's <laughs> really good for me. Like they were going to biotic out the Vitruvius. And I ripped that out of hand and now they biotic a hybrid. Like that's so good for me. Stuff like that. But also while I'm here, shout outs to Deer, who had probably the hardest schedule of Swiss matchups ever because they played against Freking, Sam Swede, myself, Bridgman, and Axwell. And then they played oh against God. four people who made top 16 and one person who didn't make it because one of those players knocked them out in the tiebreaker round. <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. Okay. The last thought that I have on cutting clot is this is kind of like the classic world champ difference, in my opinion. Did you make a decision that if you knew ahead of time you were facing two sports you might not have made? Sure. Did it work out? Yeah. Did you get yeah. the extra percentage points on everyone else because you made that decision? Yeah. Just access the agendas. That's all you got to do. Sam uh, Sweet actually said that on the day he uh, was facing the ag deck and said, ah, oh, well, all I got to do to win this one is just touch agendas. Yeah. yeah. And and I was actually just going to mention Sam Sweet. I'm sure there were multiple times where the second pinhole, second mad dash came in and, and mm -hmm. it played a big role. But the deuces matchups where the tag is relevant, then it becomes really good. Against Sam Sweet, that was one of the matchups where he was playing R+. I was setting up to APOC the board. In my head, I was like, I'm going to APOC any turn now. I'm basically waiting for him to do something. And in the process of waiting for him to do something, I drew my deuces. And I was like, that's sick. Because now I can walk through fun houses and walk through pings. Oh, like I was going to do that already. But instead of ending my turn on two tags, I can now end my turn on one tag. And that's what happened. Like I ended my turn on one tag by playing the deuces. He had market forces in hand. It saved me a six credit swing having that deuces. Yeah. Having deuces ended up being half of a siphon. That's sick. It was really good. And I will say this as well. I feel like as I've improved over the years as a Netrunner player, gotten some good results. I started believing myself a bit more mm -hmm. in terms of the decisions that I made both in gameplay, but also in deck building, trusting my own instincts and my own thoughts on what is a good card, what is a bad card, and like what should I include in my deck and what should I not include in my deck. I distinctly remember, I mean, it's, it wasn't even that long ago, and sometimes it even still happens right now, where I think about a deck idea and I naturally go on NetrunnerDB and you look at posted deck lists and that is your authority on what is a good deck, is the <laughs> deck lists that other people have posted certain names in there that you look for like oh like this mm -hmm. person's really good at criminal like they're known for playing criminal therefore this must be the best version of 419 that's out there 
And it took me a lot of improvement, a lot of self-belief in order to get to the point where the decisions that I made, I convinced myself that like, this is a good deck building decision, even though nobody else is doing it. And I think like that really came into play in second pinhole, second mad dash and a deuces while I had never tested. The number of runner games I played at Worlds was the number of games that I had played at APOC lat deck with two pinholes, two mad dashes and a deuces. Like I had never <laughs> tested this before. Oh, wow. Um, That's sick. I just knew that I now have three free slots. What slots would I include? And in my head, I was just like, these are really good cards. I know these cards are really good just because of my experience with the game and not with any actual like testing yeah. evidence. Despite never having tested it before, when I put those cards in the deck, I was very confident that these cards are good cards that I will want multiple copies of, and they are going to serve me well in the tournament. I'll bring up Bridgman again. Bridgman is somebody who will not, like he's very averse to making last minute changes, especially ones that you've never tested. When you want to make a change to the deck, it's like, have you tested this in 30 games? And if the answer is no, then you shouldn't make the change. Oh man, <laughs> oh man. It's, it's, it's the classic, have you done the math? <laughs> have, have Bridgman likes to do the math. With this? Oh man, that's so good. He's a math um, doer, get him! On this note of like theory versus actually playing, that's a good opportunity to segue to, we already have been talking about the actual tournament, but transition to the segment where we're doing that. Uh, Josh, do you have any thoughts on the segment that we should use for that? Oh, I don't know. How about uh, Akamatsu Memchip? Wait, really? We can do Akamatsu Memchip? No. You son of a bitch. You no good son of a bitch. This feels pretty daily questy, actually, doesn't it? You know, for multiple reasons. I guess that's fair. Yeah, daily quest does fit here. Daily quest. Okay, so um, hmm. daily quest. All right, so we're in the event itself in which I guess you could say you are spending a day or two questing to become the world champion. Along that route, one of the moments that really stood out to me, largely because this was a moment that I actually did get to witness in the stream dungeon, was in round four, you were on stream against Quactopus. Yep. Those were two very hard-fought games, but at the end of the day, Quactopus did end up sweeping you that round. One thing that I'm very curious about here, so it's it's one thing to say like, oh, a top-level competitive player has to have a thick skin, or a top-level competitive player has to have a short memory, all the sports cliches, right? At the same time, it is another thing entirely to actually find yourself in a situation like that. So I'm curious, what was going through your mind at that moment? And how did you end up finding a way to kind of fight back after that point? I was not feeling good when I got swept. There was four players, six and oh, six wins mm -hmm. and zero losses. It was me, it was Quactopus, it was Greg, and it was Eric. And Eric and Greg ID'd. And I knew that, like we both knew that Eric and Greg ID'd and Quactopus. So he said mm -hmm. to me, if you want to ID, let's ID. If you don't want to ID, let's play. I mean, so it was completely my choice whether we ID or not. And I basically was riding the high of being six wins and zero losses. And I was like, you're playing R plus and you're playing smoke. I can beat this guy and I can sweep him. And if I can sweep him, I can go to eight. No. And I can ID into 11, a record of 11, three. Things will just be really good. Again, I was just riding the high of being six and zero. Oh. Sometimes you can make a decision and then luck doesn't pan out your way. And the conclusion is still you made the right decision. And I originally thought that this was th this was one of those times. 
But in reality, smoke is a horrible matchup for me. I'm trying to use next activation command and you have SMC to search for your breaker yeah. and you have stealth credits to boost your, the strength of your breakers in a really efficient manner. You don't have boat in your deck. So like the only thing next activation command is giving my ice plus two strength and adding strength to your breakers is already something smoke is really good at doing. And you also have clot in your deck and you have multiple simul chips in your deck and you're also a 40 card ID. Like it's actually awful. I didn't stop and think about that. Again, riding the hive being six and oh. So I was like, okay, let's play the match. I mean, you saw on stream, like I got swept. I do think in the R plus game, I was quite unlucky. It is a lot harder to play as the runner because you don't know what's in your opponent's deck. So I don't yeah. know what to play around. So oftentimes what happens is you play around a lot of different stuff. And if your opponent happens to be a rush deck, which they were, and you're yeah. playing around a lot of run punishment cards. I was playing around hard hittings. I was playing around Dragos and they were basically rushing agendas behind a ping. Not only was I at a strategic disadvantage because of that, but I didn't find any copy of Endurance. I didn't find SMC. I have two Ingolos. I have Propeller. I have Into the Depths. Like so many ways to break this ping, and I just couldn't mm -hmm. find it. So they scored a Bologna and then scored an Offworld Office. And then from there, finally got kind of set up, and I knew I had to start Stargating. So I started Stargating. Like I got a Bologna out of his remote that he was trying to rush out. And basically I had Mad Dash in hand. I don't know what the rest of his agenda suite is, but I know he has Offworld and Bologna. But I knew that there was at least a third Bologna in there. And I was hitting the Stargate, hitting the Stargate. And I was like, if I at any point I see a three-pointer, I Mad Dash, I win. With the Stargate, with the Stargate, with the Stargate. Happened over a bunch of turns. I finally hit an Offworld office. So I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I guess I'll take that. Go to five points. And he was able to to build a taxing enough remote and like put cards in there that I couldn't justify continuously running it. And there was this one crucial turn where he installs a card in the remote and the math goes, if I want to get into that remote with a credit amount that I could steal Bologna, I need to pawn shot my Stargate. And mm -hmm. if I pawn shot my Stargate, I'm never getting my Stargate back because right. as we went over earlier, I cut the simul chips out of my deck. So, yeah, so you, you have to completely give up on Stargate attack. Yeah. And if I give up the Stargate and I do this math to steal Bologna and it's not an agenda, then I've lost the game. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to go. We're going to keep the Stargate. We're going to hit this one. And we're just going to hit this Stargate, see three cards. And if there's an agenda, I win. We whiff the Stargate. I don't run the remote. And he goes and double seamlesses the Bologna. Mm -hmm. And I find out later, he didn't have the agenda in hand. Once a turn Stargate, he drew past that and found the Bologna on one of those turns where he was just digging. Yeah. And that's like really unlucky for me. So like, yeah, it was really hard for me to take a sweep, like getting swept in, in round four. It was really, really hard to go into the next round. Again, I was offered an ID for all intents and purposes, and I chose not to take it and I got swept. So there's not that much that I that I would actually do in terms mm -hmm. of being upset at myself. Let's try my best to focus up and play the next round. So we play against Jay Dang next round. I lost this the lat game first. So mm -hmm. I was coming off of getting swept and then I lost game one of the next round. I was like, mm. like I was not happy with like what was going on basically got fast advanced out like i didn't have clot so if, mm. if i had clot mm -hmm. that game maybe i would have won that game and then i remember playing that sports metal game i don't remember what happened at all but i just remember that i cheesed myself into a win that i sh probably didn't deserve i think probably had a high chance of hitting the game winning agenda in hq they missed it and i scored it something something along those lines yeah and I was just basically like going through the motions. I was like, I just, I came off of three straight losses and wasn't that focused in that game. But like somehow we managed to win that game. 
in my head, I'm just like, okay, I need to find a sweep. We paired up against Deer the next round. And in my head, coming into this tournament, I knew that Apoc Lat has a lot of bad matchups. Cutting the clot and cutting the two simul chips, I created another theoretical bad matchup. So I was just like, I just got to get lucky. And the game against Deer, I was very lucky playing the sports medal. To go through the story, like to just explain how lucky I was in that game, that I swept Deer, got to a record of nine and three, and then I ID'd in the last round to get to 10-4 and then played a tiebreaker. But to get there, like I think Deer had like a Stargate and an Endurance and they were well on top of me. I had like a Fairchild 3 res on R&D. I had an unres Loki on R&D and I had 10 credits worth of unres dice on my remote and a Trank mm-hmm. grid. And the play was I had to put something in the remote to distract them from Stargating because they were yeah. at five points and I was at three. I think my turn was like install Rashida credit credit and I ended the turn at 10 credits. They ran the remote. They used their simul chip. Oh, by the way, not only do they have endurance and Stargate, they also had Claude in the bin and a simul chip on the board. (laughs) Gross. They ran click one, which was 100% the right play because they know that I have like Fairchild and stuff. So I res Fairchild, they click through it and then I res Hagen and they have $8. And if they install Paperclip from the bin and pay $4 to break with Paperclip, they will have no money to trash the Rashida. And they recognize that. So they used the simul chip to install the Paperclip so that they can huh. save a couple credits to trash this Rashida. So they trash the Rashida. I have no money. Their game plan basically was they must have like one or two more simul chips in the deck. So they'll just like draw for the simul chip. I just spent all my money resing this ice. I can't do anything. You're five points up to three. If simul chip's the top card, this game's pretty much locked. It's locked. So yeah. let's just use the simul chip now to trash this Rashida. It's just so we make sure that you can't pop Rashida and like find something crazy. Mm-hmm. And my hand is Audacity, next activation command. And the top card is Seamless Launch. And we knew it because previous turn Stargate. So my hand is Audacity, next activation command. And I Mando the Seamless Launch. And I have no money. Something magical has to happen here. I need to draw my Luminal. I don't know how many cards are left, but there's like a good number of cards left. And I go click one draw and we find the luminal. <laughs> it's You just access the agendas with your draw step. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I go click one draw, I find the luminal. And this is credit perfect. It had to be click one. Yeah. I knew the top card of the deck. The top card of the deck was seamless. And if I draw click two, the math doesn't work out because I need to play this next activation command. Deer had two boat counters and only like one or two credits. But with two boat counters, that's enough to get through the remote. Because you, yeah, you can click, click through and you can also, yeah. And you can boat the Hagen. So I had to play this next. So I had to draw click one. So I draw the luminal click one. We install it in the remote, use Trank Grid to get $2 and we play the next activation command. And with two credits, I can score it next turn because I have seamless launch in hand. So Deer spends the turn like getting a boat counter and digging for the simul chip. And my next turn is I mandatory draw biotic. So my hand is now biotic seamless audacity. And I go seamless advance score. Again, Deer's at five points. If they Stargate and they hit a two-pointer, I lose the game. And my R&D is a resed Fairchild and an unresed Loki. And they can just get through this Fairchild with boat. Mm -hmm. So I had to threaten resing this Loki. And if they run, I will res the Loki. Because as we said, like Loki is a lot of subs. You have to spend a lot of counters to get through. They didn't have enough. So I scored the Luminal. We gained two off sports medal. And then I gained three clicks. So I have four clicks and I click for four credits. So I had six credits. <laughs> I had six credits to threaten this Loki res. They didn't know I had Loki in my deck, I don't think. But they respected the amount of credits that I had. So they didn't run R&D. So I didn't even need to pay the six to res the Loki because they respected that it could be something bad. My hand is Audacity, Biotic. I mandatory draw and I draw like a piece of ice or something that's useless. And I go click one draw and we get a Megapri. And there's a Megapri in Deer score area. And we go install Megapri, 
So I, I biotic oh and, I'm, and I'm back at three clicks and we install Megapri. We use the Trank grid to draw a card because I need to have three cards. Because you need to it for audacity. To audacity. <laughs> and then I audacity to score this Megapri and I go to seven points from three in a matter of two turns. That is so sick. That was how I managed to get my sweep. And then we ID to 10 4. So, what I'm hearing is like the way that you battle back from getting swept on stream is you just make the sickest, most credit perfect plays of your entire life, including clicking for four. Yeah, I had to click for four there. And HQ was wide open. So, funny to say this, but. The one thing that Loki did for me over the weekend was it made me click for four that turn <laughs> because I needed six to res the Loki. If I had not, if I didn't have six credits, like if you think about this, this draw card, play biotic, install Tranker to draw audacity line, I need five credits to do that. And if the Loki was any other ice that didn't cost six credits, like let's say it was Hagen and it cost me four, I probably would have spent clicks drawing the previous turn and I probably right. wouldn't have clicked all the way up to six credits. And I would have probably ended the turn on four credits. Even then, getting swept was obviously really like it it hit, it hits you hard. But it honestly, getting swept did not feel as bad as when I found out my matchup in the tiebreaker round. Because in my tiebreaker round, I was paired up against Axwell, uh, otherwise known mm. as Alexi. Oh, who no. is also in my testing team. And he's playing Tagme Zaya. Tagme Zaya against sports metal is awful for the sports metal because Tagme Zaya has every incentive to get single accesses because you get credits, you have counter surveillance, mm -hmm. you're taking tags that the corp has no punishment for, and you also have jailbreaks in your deck. So your deck is full of multi-access with no downside. Awful matchup for sports metal. In that moment, I looked at the TV, like people were looking at the TV. What matchups did they get? And I looked at the TV. I see the matchup and I see the side that I was assigned. I was like, that's it. I've lost. We're not making this cut anymore. Tag me Zaya is like a 15, 20%, probably less than that. In my mind, I was like, I accepted the fact that I was no longer making the cut because I was paired against this Tag me Zaya. And we go into the game. Once I started the game, in the back of your head, you've like accepted that you're not going to make it. But once you start the game, you're like, okay, for me to win this game, I need to get the sickest rips. I need to get really lucky. So let's just do that. Very confident. And we're going to pretend to be very confident throughout the course of this game. And somehow, some way, that is what happened. <laughs> and I was able to beat this Tag me Zaya deck. It requires an opening hand of Rashida Hedge Fund 3 ice because you have to ice your centrals. You need an right. ice for your remote in order for you to do anything, to have a hedge fund so your money doesn't get pressured. It requires you to keep your agendas safe in R&D, and then you need to like burst draw into your agendas at the perfect time. When you get a scoring window, it requires your opponent to not steal too many two-pointers, and they mm -hmm. need to steal a mega pre at the right time. And all that stuff, I was able to line that up going into that day two. At the end of day one, I was, in my head, it was insane that I had, I had even made the cut. It was almost 11 by the time those games were over. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I, there were multiple points throughout the day. I was like, I'm not going to make it anymore. So going into day two, I was all, it was basically me going, I made it and that's insane. So anything that I get on top of this, I will just like be happy with. Yeah. And if I get swept out of the cut, the fact that I even made the cut is amazing enough yeah. based off of what happened the last day. Obviously, kind of the exact opposite happened. You ended up going completely undefeated to start off the cut to the point where you were sitting in grand finals. Obviously, this is true in every tournament that's double elimination of this size. The person waiting in grand finals is kind of sitting there for two rounds or something like that. I think, it's I think that there's an added element with it being in person. We asked Limes this, and I, the answer for Limes was like, oh, yeah, during those two rounds, I was playing code names with the other people from the Denver Discord. When you're in person, I'm curious, what were you doing during that long wait? 
So there's 16 players in the cut. Each player has two decks. So there's 32 decks in the cut. I am two of those decks. So the, aside from me, there's 30 decks in the cut. And I was looking at all the matchups. 12 of the 30 matchups are absolutely horrible for me. Egg Infusion against Apoc Lat, I think is a horrible matchup. I think yeah. I have a better understanding of the matchup now, now that I understand it a bit better. Like it might not be absolutely horrible, but at the time I didn't really know anything about the deck. I didn't know how to approach it. Egg Infusion's really bad. The Shapers with Clotted were really bad. Bridgman's PE was really bad. There was a lot of bad matchups for me. 12 are really bad. And then the other 18 are like, some are really good. Some are okay. And, and some are just like, I, I don't know what to expect. Such as like the Freedoms, for example. Like Freedom can be a really bad matchup for you. But if they're a Freedom, like the one that Stry was playing, where you have one Botulus and you have two Boats and you have Yusuf and Paperclip and two Black Orchestras and one MK Ultra, then I think you could say, that that matchup is favored but even then it's not because at the end of the day they're freedom they can trash your stuff right audacity costs absolutely nothing except a freedom trigger to get rid of exactly like i think that is still a bad matchup and i didn't even consider that within the 12 mm -hmm. um it's funny that you mentioned limes i feel like in 2020 worlds when limes won worlds he had to dodge a lot of bad matchups mm-hmm I don't remember every single corp deck in 2020 cut, but I think Limes as a Shiko, I would say is unfavored, is heavily unfavored against every corp deck except for the Titans. I think there was two. I think there were two people in the 2020 top cut who were playing Titan Transnational. And that was the two corp decks that he played against. <laughs> was in round one, he played against Ghostmeat, who chose to play corp. And then in round two, he beat a brick playing Titan. Yeah. And I think like the other matchups was like Asa, Egg Infusion, like CTM. Yeah, and we saw TF34 CTM like completely take the deck apart yeah. in the grand finals. Yeah, I really think that that Hoshiko deck is heavily unfavored against every corp except for the Titans and he rolled the Titans. You just got to get the sick rips, right? That's you just got to get the good matchups. So I was like, I you know just there's, touch a lot of, there's a lot of bad matchups here. And in my head, I was like, every round, I'm just like, I just got to roll the good matchups. And we're just going to hope we roll the good matchups. There's some bad matchups. We just got to roll the good ones. And I think that is what happened. And again, on day one, Greg and Eric ID'd the rest of the day. And Greg finished in the top eight. If you finish in the top eight, you get the choice of side in the first round of the cut, which is very significant. And Greg was right there with me in round four at six wins and zero losses. And mm -hmm. he ID'd the next three rounds. And I was kicking myself for playing against Quactopus because that could have also been me. God, I and wish that were me. Not only would I have made the cut, I would have also made top eight. Yeah. But instead, I got swept. I had to work my ass off to get into the cut and I was only in 13th place. I didn't even make top Ooh, eight. Yeah. So I didn't even get first side choice in round one. I was basically looking at all these pairings. I think it was like Lopair, Sam Swede, Greg, and Gronkoff. Those four players were the only four players that had a runner and a corp deck that I thought I could comfortably beat on both <laughs> sides. That's how we kicked things off was that Lopair was who I was paired against in the first round because they were in fourth seed and I was in 13th and they didn't really have a good choice because both of the matchups I think were quite favored for me. So they picked the lesser of two evils. We win the game and we just kind of ride good matchups from there. Round two, I played against yeah. Gromkoff, who was playing PD into my APOC lat. And that's like a bad matchup for the PD. Round three, Ben Blum, who was playing the OB. Now the OB is like not necessarily a good matchup for me, mm -hmm. but 
the fact that I understood what this ob was doing and I understood yeah. like you don't have hard hitting news, you don't have boom, you're just purely a rush deck. Now I can mulligan with that information. Again, it wasn't necessarily a favored matchup, but with the hidden information available, I would say it is favored. So beat that. And then we play against Sam Swede playing APOC lad against the R plus, which again is a very favored matchup for me. All this time, like I have to make sure that all my plays are really sharp. Um, I have oh, to yeah, 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 do all course. the calculations still. Right. Um, like, e the, even if the still... matchup is in your favor, these are the best players in the world. You yeah. still have to play real tight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to start things off, I had to make sure that I wasn't going yeah. into a heavily unfavored matchup. And we really managed to manage to do that through the luck of the draw. <laughs> so were you like carefully watching the games during that break to try to figure out what matchups you'd end up facing or... Uh Right. So yeah, I guess I totally forgot what prompted this whole discussion was what did I do during the break? During that break of three rounds, basically it was half of me saying, just relax, go yeah. listen to some music, focus on what's going to happen, focus on you and your own play and making sure that you make the best plays and you're totally in the zone when the finals happens. And the other mm -hmm. half of me was saying, there are so many bad matchups that are left and there's so much for you to be worried about. So be worried about all these things <laughs> that you should be worried about. <laughs> and I think I was telling Eric this after uh, White played, Eric was playing Egg Infusion and Tag Mizaya, and both those matchups were really bad for me. So if Eric made it to the finals, there's a high, high chance that I get swept in the finals if I was mm -hmm. against Eric. In the other matchups, all the other matchups, except for Sam Swede, I have one matchup that's heavily unfavored and one matchup that I can win. Mm -hmm. Like not even favored, I can win. Like I beat Sam Swede in winner's finals. So Sam Swede was the one that was waiting in loser's finals. Whoever wins that comes up to grand finals. And right. I was like, please, I really want Sam to win. Because if yeah. Sam wins, I have two favored matchups. I can win one of those. Yeah. But every other outcome is basically I have one match that I can win and the other match I'm going to lose. So Scry comes up and he's got freedom and egg infusion. Like I was trying to watch some of the games leading up to this, but really mm -hmm. I just couldn't. Like I was like trying to hang out with some people, not think about it. Like sometimes there was a yeah. moment where I went out to the lobby and just like listened to music. I did watch the game between Sam and Scry because mm -hmm. I know that I'm going to play against one of these two players. Like it's probably useful for me to watch what happens. So I did watch that. And going into the finals, I'm up against Freedom and Egg Infusion. Again, Egg Infusion, I think is a horrible matchup for me. And I basically knew I was going to play the other matchup first because coming into this, I had ran three times and I had corped once. So we corped the first game. And in my head, I'm like, I need to win this game because everybody else is thinking, oh, Sokka has two lives. He can lose one and he can win the other one. And in my mind, mm -hmm. I'm like, I have one life. If I lose this, I'm not going to win the other match. Like I have to be super lucky to win the other match. So I have to win this match. And I really treated that finals. I mean, you should treat every game like this is what everybody will tell you. But you treat every game like this is the game that matters and you don't think about what's going to happen after the game. That's what I did. I need to win this game right here, right now. And I spent so much time worrying about what could happen, like all the bad things that could happen. It never occurred to me ever until I got to five points in the finals <laughs> where I was like, oh my God, I actually might win Worlds. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, you, you know, just a, I mean, just a it, little anecdote. If there is a time to realize. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was, especially yeah, sure. with like the play that ended up happening when you were at five. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Run HQ. 
my hand was two mega pre's and a GFI. But oh, no, and, and it would have been it would have been the first mega pre in Scry's score area too. It would, yeah, no. yeah, wow. But Scry, but my no. I was so concerned about all these bad matchups and like got to focus. I've got to play well. I can't make any mistakes because the freedom matchup is not like 100% lost, but it's a really hard matchup. I need to be at my best and I need to make the perfect plays. I need to think about yeah. everything. And even as I was sitting there waiting in grand finals, that is the place where you want to be. When you go into a tournament, obviously you want to come out as the winner, but the next place you want to be is in grand finals and to have made it from the winner's bracket. Yes. Two lives, yeah. that is where you want to be. We're good, okay? I can think about, I have three rounds to think about what I'm going to do. And even while I was there, I understood that I was in the best position at Worlds. I'm at the best position right now, but mm -hmm. it was never a thought to me. I might win Worlds until I actually got to five points. Like I, my hand was biotic, GFI, mm -hmm. double mega pre, and I had yeah. three points. I and in my head, I was like, I need to score a Vitruvius right now because I have Biotic in my hand. These Mega Pre's and this GFI is kind of awkward. He can mm -hmm. run my remote. I have no money to protect my remote. So like the best I can try to do is like install a Mega Pre, feed it to him, and then Biotic the other Mega Pre. But mm -hmm. it would be yep. ideal if I scored Luminal or Vitruvius right now. And then Scry ends his turn. I go mandatory draw and I draw Vitruvius. I'm like, okay. I might actually win worlds. And I go biotic yep. trivius. I'm at five points. It's like, oh my God, we might yeah. actually do this. I could tell too that you were sweating up until the end. The time clock, we turned that into a Twitch stream. And I was sitting there through most of the finals just on the stage stairs. And I could remember distinctly, you came up twice to me. Once when we first set it up, and then once before your opponent is decided for grand finals. And the only snippets of conversation I remember from that, there might have been more, was you just talking about, I had to dodge all these bad matchups. There's a couple of ways this could go for me. And there's some bad shit coming my way. And I'm like, Sokka, like, you're kind of a lock to win this thing, my dude. And all you're <laughs> thinking about is those bad beats that you could get, even though you're coming in from winners with those two lives. And I'm, it was just funny to me. I, I, I know I didn't say anything to you about it, yeah. but in the moment it was i almost had to grab me by the shoulders and like yeah. shake me <laughs> I, don't, I didn't want to give you i didn't want to give you the bad luck if you tell somebody they're going to win something that's true oh you know, no no you, you can't do that that's that's true terrible. yeah but no i held my tongue i, I, I think we well. all appreciate that you did i do have one final question that's related to in-person worlds the main event i did watch your youtube recap after you got back from worlds and the final question it's a little less of a question and a little more of a request at the end of that youtube recap you did actually have a like very personal and touching shout out to dean Dean Tran, mm -hmm. one of the all-time greats of Netrunner, was at Worlds. Could you go over that very quickly, just so everyone listening to us right now has a chance to hear it? And then on top of that, I'm curious, what was it like seeing Dean at Worlds this weekend? So I've only seen Dean twice. Yeah. Once was at 2019 Canadian Nationals when he came to Edmonton, and once was this weekend at Worlds. So the story that I shared was in 2019 Canadian Nationals, I was like this kid who played Netrunner locally and really wanted to play, quote unquote, on the big stage. You see all these streams going on. You, people's names are like written at the bottom of the stream and there's like commentators yeah. talking about them. And like these players are in top 16. And Dean was one of those players that I noticed, like this is a name that exists. Like mm -hmm. this is a person from Canada who plays Netrunner at the highest level and has made the top cut of worlds. And I've seen this person before play on stream 
And he was sitting there at a table and I go up to him and like, are you Dean Tran? See, it's one of those, it's one of those situations where you know the answer is yes. Yeah. But what else are you going to approach this person with? Like, what else are you going to say? So you know the answer is yes. So you go up and you're like, are you Dean Tran? He's like, yeah. And so I tell him basically what I just said was like, mm-hmm. I've seen you online before in streams. And I just wanted to come say hi. Like, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe I'm meeting you in Edmonton. Like, this is the place where I play weekly Netrunner. And this is my the only place I play Netrunner. And the first thing he said to me was... I'm sure that if you had the opportunity to go out to these events, that you would be there as well. Yeah, that's what he said. And yeah. like, and like he had no idea. I was just this random person who lived in Edmonton that he had just met. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just like stuff like that, like the positivity and the support that he provides, the way that he conducts himself is just like really, really what Netrunner, like what the greatness of the Netrunner community is, is to me is like all about. And when people say like Netrunner has the best community, he's what comes to mind. 100%. Yeah. 100% agree with you. It constantly, at this point, it doesn't even surprise me because I've just seen it for so many years, but just the absolute top level, most competitive players of this game. I guess sportsmanship is the right word here. They care about the game. They care about everyone who's playing it, having a good time. And Mm -hmm. that extends from like someone who is a local player that they just met to other players who were like constantly in top 16s at Worlds. And that is truly special. I don't know other collectible card game that I've played could say the same thing. Mm -hmm. When I met him at Worlds, met as in saw him for the second time. Yeah, like it's just something special like it was from that moment in 2019 canadian nationals like he's always held a special place Mm -hmm. in in the narrow community for me and especially on day two like i interacted with him a lot during the cut he was talking to me taking pictures not even the things that he says to people like the fact that he was there with the polaroid taking photos and like documenting the tournament Mm -hmm. like he wanted to take photos of every participant and put it in this book and have everybody sign it or write their names on it or what do whatever they want and just like make this compilation of world's attendees that's just amazing and after the tournament he like sat me down like talk to me. It was a really emotional moment for me. And he's just the best. Not much more to say about that than he's he's just the best. And talking about it now, like thinking about it on the flight back, like I was in tears many times, not only while I was talking to him, but also just like thinking about it later many times. I can't blame you. I think that this was the first time I've actually talked to... I I think we've been at the same tournament at least twice before because of Worlds 2017 and 18, but never really talked to Dean before. And I'm not sure if Dean knew who I was, really. I was out of the stream dungeon for a few minutes. I was just walking by like the table where the Polaroids were and kind of stopped like, oh, this looks cool. And Dean was like, hey, do you want to get one? I was like, sure. Doesn't know who I am, probably. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Stream dungeon. Uh, yeah, I love that too. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it was very dark in there. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah, you you actually that, that got our... to experience it. <laughs> so the final question on the actual tournament itself is you played a lot of games during Worlds, a lot of Netrunner games. What did you think of the meta? What Two sentences think? or less. What do you think about the meta? There are too many ways to not interact. <laughs> Ooh. There's the one sentence. I like that. I like that a lot. On the runner side, between Boat, Botulus, Boomerang, these are all cards that get around 
the ice interaction of having to increase strength and break subroutines using an icebreaker I had installed and invested in. And maybe it's just the fact that Netrunner is changing. This is what you need to adapt to. You need to start accepting the fact that you're you're now dealing with ice by using these things that don't boost strength, that don't interact with strength, and that you don't have to like spend four whole credits installing a Gordian Blade. Um, but instead, you're going to spend credits like installing these things that just deal with ice for the rest of the game. As a result of that, I think, the ease of breaking ice and the ease of dealing with ice, using Hippo to trash it, has pushed corp strategies towards less interactive things. Mm-hmm. So in order to win, you need to next activation command is like a heavy, heavy, heavy tech. So that mm-hmm. like doesn't really mm-hmm. count is because we're just teching against the runner's cards. Well, and, but, and really what it's doing is it's saying you don't get to use your tools to interact with my ice. Right. So instead of interacting with high strength and boosting my breaker and breaking, we're interacting by you're trying to not interact. And then I have a card that says you actually can't interact because the card that you are trying to use to not interact doesn't work for one turn. Oh, and your icebreakers cost like four more credits. Which is really just a side thing. Like if Next Activation Command didn't have the text of plus two strength, it would have still Mm -hmm. seen as much play as it did. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So it's pushed corp strategies towards, I'm going to try to fast advance. I'm going to try to rush early agendas and, and hope you didn't draw your breakers in time. Like I'm going to try to use Drago to give you tags and when you shouldn't be getting tags and I'm going to try to boom you. So it's creating mm-hmm. these corp strategies that are, they have to go in a different direction just because ice is so easy to deal with. Mm. Yeah, I buy that. Josh, I think you might've slightly misspoke. I do actually have one very, very final, very brief question on in-person worlds and it's best summarized with a segment we know and love called the beef zone. The Beef Zone. In the Beef Zone, we ask a simple question, which is, which would win in a fight? Today on the Beef Zone, which would win in a fight? Wearing a huge-ass wrestling-style, flashy-as-fuck, literal, physical championship belt while playing Netrunner on stream, or not doing that? Uh, you're asking. You're asking me. Uh, yes, I'm asking you, Saka. Well, I mean, it's you've got to you've got to wear the belt, right? You've got to wear you the belt. You got to wear the belt. Th- that um, was one of the best flexes I've ever seen. Just like, yeah, I'm gonna pull up in the stream with the championship belt on. Oh, that was well, so yes, good. I am the back-to-back APAC winner, <laughs> and I have a belt to prove it. I will say that in the finals, I did not wear the belt, and I had it next to me. It was right next to the table. Okay. Oh, okay. It was yeah. right next to the table. You could see it. The stream couldn't see it, but everybody else could see it. But I did not have it on because it <laughs> it, it is quite a pretty large piece of metal. <laughs> it's a very large belt. Like it's, um, it's it's like designed for Josh. How the fuck large is that? Is that like designed for the rock? It's ten by twelve. <laughs> and Saka, you were wearing it wrong. You're supposed to wear them over your shoulder. See, not, I, not around I your actual waist. <laughs> See, no, no. But when I was, I would wear it around my shoulder when I was standing up. But if you're just sitting there, like it's, it's the thing's heavy. Like you can feel that <laughs> digging into your shoulder. Um, and it's just like, it's the champion belt. And it can like get in the way. Cause you're trying to hold your cards. You're, yeah. So that's why I kind of had it. I had it on my lap around my waist when I was sitting down. Also, but like even then it was there was was it it a, was a big like thing. you tested it and it was like 
the stream could see it better if you were yeah. that way or something. We absolutely um, could see it much better there. I think Andre had actually, he had told the stream that I had asked if it was in frame and I was just asking for-, for Just like, out of curiosity. Just out of curiosity. I wasn't asking <laughs> so that the stream could see it. You weren't it's, asking it's, to it's flex okay. in other words. <laughs> yeah, I was, it's, I was just it's curious. Better, it's better that you flexed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speaking of flexing, Josh, should we give the the abbreviated intro to BannerNab? Yeah, okay. So welcome to BannerNab. It's the longest segment. It takes the longest time. Uh, we go through the tournament ins and outs. We really go through all of the deck building implications and the tournament implications of the pick. Sokka, it's your choice. What do you want to BannerNab? And it's going to be Endurance, and it's going to be Drago. Ban. 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 As much as we would love to get into all of the implications of that, we do actually have to get to the next segment, which is bad card of the week that's still bad, and you still shouldn't play it. Sokka, this is also your choice. Do you have a choice for the bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it? I absolutely do. Ooh, tell me more. The bad card of the week that is still bad and you still shouldn't play it is Wave. Wave. That card just got second at Worlds. It sure did. There are three, I think <laughs> three copies of that three card. Three copies got of it. That, that, Worlds. You almost had three copies of that in the full art. Why is Wave a bad card of the week that is still bad that you still shouldn't play? So when this card was released, when Midnight Sun was released, I was in Calgary. Sorry, it wasn't released. It was like in the process of getting spoiled. Mm -hmm. I was in mm -hmm. Calgary. I went to their weekly meetup and Keith Donaldson, who was at Worlds, brought a HB deck. And that was my introduction to Wave. I didn't know Wave existed. Uh. I did not know Wave existed. And he was like, I've got some new cards in here. And I was like, cool. And he res his wave, and I read this card. Let's just skip the first part of the text for a second. Yeah. The, the one subroutine says, gain a credit for each resed piece of harmonic ice. And in other words, let me, let me translate what that subroutine says to you. There's no real good way for me to do this. The translation of that subroutine is nothing. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> so he would res this piece of ice, and he would search for a card. And then I'd be like, uh, fire, I guess. <laughs> and it's like, and he'd be like, okay, so he gains a credit. And then he like reses another harmonic ice, and then he gains two credits. I'm like, I still don't care what that card does. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been letting Mausolus fire since before you were born, my guy. Like <laughs> <laughs> this subroutine does nothing. This subroutine does absolutely nothing. You don't so, play it for the subroutine, right? Exactly. So so basically. <laughs> You're spending two credits. You're getting a three strength code gate that does nothing. But when you res it during a run against the server, you may search R&D for a piece of ice and reveal it. And then you add mm -hmm. that ice to HQ. So you can install a piece of ice, paying the click to install and paying the credits to install if applicable. And if your opponent runs the ice, you can yeah. then spend two credits to search for a piece of ice out of your deck. And it's basically like you're taking this piece of ice that does nothing and you're going to replace it with an ice of your choice from the deck because that does something that does something. At least so I hope it does. If you're searching for a piece of ice that's in faction, it does nothing because you can play three copies of that piece of ice anyways. So if you're playing Jinteki yeah. and you're trying to search for a Nazi, you can play three Anansis anyways. Like, are you really going to play this thing that's so conditional yeah. at that searches for the, like, how important is that yeah, piece like, of ice? Like, just click to draw. You'll find the Anansi. Exactly. <laughs> and this Egg Infusion deck that's playing Wave has one copy of Loki. Now that makes a little bit more sense because Loki has, it costs five influence. You can't afford to play that many copies of Five Influence Loki. So you're going to play some waves. The waves don't do anything except for search for your Loki. 
here's the reason why you shouldn't play the wave. Anyways, just draw the damn Loki. You don't got. You don't have to search for <laughs> it's it. It's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I guess it, it does have a little utility in that you can de-res it with divert power. De-res ice does things when you're ag infusion. But like that's true. At the same time, you had to res wave on stream to do that. Like yeah, you had to install wave. Your opponent had to run the wave. In my mind, there's two scenarios. Your opponent doesn't run the wave, in which case, like you spent an influence doing nothing. And mm -hmm. later in the game, maybe you've drawn all your big guys. So like resing wave doesn't even search for anything you want. Or your opponent runs the wave and you search for an ice. Good for you. You get a credit. Good for you. And now I can just access HQ because your ice didn't do anything. I'll, I'll run just, HQ three more times and I'll find yeah. the send the message. And like. I'll just find the send a message or I'll like Stargate and you'll res this ice that gains you a credit and I'll just Stargate. <laughs> Sick ice, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Sick ice, dude. That is the only deck in which I could ever ever even consider playing that ice i think there's it, no it other is. situation where it's like i want to find one piece of ice so badly that i'm willing to actually play a wave to find it yeah and after making the cut and eric actually and like, said to the crowd well i don't actually think that this deck is good so don't play this deck <laughs> <laughs> it tells you something that the bar for me playing wave is a complete lockout that the runner can't interact with <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'll throw this in here. This is completely unrelated to this this segment, but it it's just has to do with this egg infusion yeah. deck. It sets up this complete lockout, but I didn't realize that if you're playing up against a shaper, which I was playing Apoc Lat, you have to Loki into a Chiashi because yes. Chiashi ends the run. Yes. And in every other matchup, all throughout stream, you would see Loki hitting Malinzi, Loki hitting yeah. Anansi, Loki hitting DNA Tracker. Against Shaper, it has to be Chiashi because every other ice doesn't end the run. And the threat is you can shuffle your whole hand into your deck to continue the run past the Loki. And then they use Anemone to kill you because Anemone yeah. does two damage. But Shapers have Stone Ship Chart Room. <laughs> so you can shuffle your hand away and then you can stone ship to draw two, and you can tank the anemone damage to trash the trace. So they have to get a Chiashi res in order for this lockout to occur against Shaper. Yeah. And I this is not something that I realized on the day. And maybe if I played against it, I would have realized it as the game went on. These are like some of the reasons why I felt that Egg Infusion was just really unfavored for Lat. But there is like mm -hmm. some bits of counterplay that that is not immediately obvious. And like, obviously, the, the deck is super fragile, right? Like a single person on a single copy of Hunting Grounds yep. would tear this deck to shreds. Yeah, a single person on a single copy of Inside Job. Yeah, <laughs> like, shreds, you if, say. If all you did was like read Drill Runner and play the cards in Drill Runner, you would beat this deck. Wow. <laughs> That's my last thought there. Now, as a reminder... The bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it is a recommendation that is specific to the week. I know, I know, Sokka did just win Worlds. I understand that. But this is still only a binding suggestion during this week. So with that, I think we have reached the end of the time we have for this episode. If you liked what you heard on this episode of the Slumscast, make sure you follow the Slumscast. You should be able to do that basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. They have the technology. You can do that. You should also consider leaving us a five-star rating. Five-star ratings help more people hear the Slumscast. So it's up to you to weigh the morality of that. I think uh, Spotify has a thumbs up function or some shit like that now. I don't know. It probably does something similar. The podcasts that I listen to are all talking about the, the Spotify thumbs up right now. So 
I have to talk about this. Just fucking do it. Most importantly, we we want people to hear the slums cast. That's why we're here. That's why you're here. Well, I don't know if it's why you're here. It's why we're here. If you know someone who might be interested in listening to this episode of the slums cast, perhaps they are someone who wants to know what happened at Worlds 2022 for Netrunner. What I recommend you do is directly share this episode of the slums cast with them. That is a thing that it is legal to do. You can just copy a link and send it to them. I know. Are you sure? Life hack. Are you sure that's uh, not a war crime? Uh, well, with the slums cast, it probably is. But the Hague, like, really, is the Hague going to prosecute you for that? I don't think so. They have a lot of other things to do. They have the Hague. The slums cast probably is. That got surprisingly dark. I, this has been one of our darker episodes. <laughs> oh, fuck. We're going to we have to cut that. that one. <laughs> we're yeah. we're going to have to cut that sentence. We can't have that sentence in this cast. Yeah, no, oh, that's boy. not going to work. That's not going to work. No, no, nope. we're, um, okay. No, hope we're going to have to nope wow. out of that one. All right. Well, uh, the, the audience is just going to not know what I said there. I, I mean, I didn't say anything that we had to cut from the episode there. That ooh, we, we, we like spicy takes, but that's that's a little spicy even for us. Special thanks this week go to Sokka. Thank you for being on the episode. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Are there any shout-outs you'd like to give while you're here on the Slumscast? I would like to shout out Brandon the King for helping me with the sports deck. I think he was mm-hmm. a very, very big part of, of why I ended up doing so well at Worlds. Shout-out to my YouTube channel and Twitch, yeah, we'll have links to those out. in the show notes, so please check them out. I am not able to to stream as regularly as I was before. It's not going to be anything planned or announced, but from now until probably at least December, it will be maybe a spontaneous stream here or there. Tons of content, tons of videos on there that uh, from the past. Go check it out. Very nice. Yeah, shout out to NSG for running an amazing Worlds, to Orbital for setting everything up. Ran a ran a great worlds. Um, Pants for streaming there all day. Thank you. Uh, along with Andre, it was a really really great to have commentators there. It was a really really great weekend. Fantastic. Well, lo- love to hear that. And uh, congratulations once again. Thanks for being on the Slumscast with us. Thank you so much. The last thing I have to say is, if you have any questions or comments, the best people to reach are us. If you look at the show notes, you will find many ways that you can contact us and share your questions or comments. If you have any concerns about what you heard on the slums cast this week, unfortunately concerns did not win the tiebreaker round and were eliminated. So you cannot reach them. And then the music. Yeah. And then the music. When I walked in on Friday, I was walking into the lobby of the hotel, saw some people around, recognized some people, some people recognized me. And I was like, where do I go to check in? And they're like, oh, I think it's over here. I think it's over here. I found my way to the main hall. I walk into the main hall. I had stepped in for 10, 15 seconds and Orbital comes up to me and he's like, here's your belt. (laughs) (laughs) Orbital had the tip. Suck us in the building. I need the belt. That's exactly how it happened. <laughs> I had people scoping it out for you, motherfucker. <laughs> not not really, but somebody somebody mentioned offhand that you were there, and I was like, oh, I brought the belts. <laughs> I literally brought it down uh, that morning, too, expecting to see you, because I was like, I know you're going to play it in COS. Like, 
there's no way yeah. you're not. So yeah, yeah. No, I love I love the team tournament. Uh, oh, it adds so such a so cool good. dynamic. Like normally in Netrunner, you're not allowed to talk to other people. Other people are not allowed to talk to you. Yeah. And when you're in Crown of Servers, and your your teammates get to ask you questions. Oh it's my god! So cool. So much better. It's I so, think so cranked cool. made one hundred percent of my mulligan decisions on the entire day. <laughs> Which I, I did better than Cranked, so I guess Crank should have saved some of that mojo for himself. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if I wanted to share this. Are, are you still recording right now? <laughs> I don't know if Analyze Chris is okay with me sharing this, but I, I oh. feel like it's cool. I feel like it's cool. <laughs> um, so if you want to add this in, feel free. In Crown of Servers, uh, I was with on a team of Analyze Chris and Whiteblade, and I in in many of the rounds I sat in the middle. I think mm-hmm. that's like, it wasn't intentional or anything. Like that's just happened to be what, what yeah. happened. Um, and one of the rounds analyzed Chris who was playing PD. Basically it was like a really tough game. And he asked me at many points in the game, like, what do you think I should do here? And there's many points where I looked over and like, I gave like some, some, some opinions about what should, what should be done. You have two ice in hand. I think you should ice HQ ice archives to block the boat counter. Mm-hmm. Um, you should probably like put this in the remote. And I was like, so I was pretty involved in the game and I had a good understanding of what the board state was. And he had asked, he had just finished asking me a question. Uh, I answered and I went back. I like took my turn. Opponent took their turn. I took another turn. And then I looked back over to Analyze Chris's board and he's got a card in the remote and he starts his turn and he mandatory draws and he goes advance, advance, audacity. So he plays the audacity, pitches cards in his hand. And he, he puts four advancements on the card in the remote. And I was like, and, 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 and I was like, oh, okay. Like he just scored an off world office. I remember yeah. that was in his turn a turn or two ago, or it was in his hand a turn or two ago. I was like, all right, he's got four advancement tokens on there. He's going to score an off world. Hopefully he can goes on to win the game. So mm-hmm. he goes advance, advance audacity. And then he takes the card and he flips it face up. And it was Rashida. Oh, <laughs> and then, oh, no. and then he flips the card face up. We both see it's Rashida. And then he turns and looks at me. And we both look at each other (laughs) and he had just basically, he basically had installed Rashida the turn before and he thought he installed off-world office. So he just double advanced and audacity a Rashida, which is not a legal play, which is not a legal play. (laughs) So that was like, that was such a good moment where we're both looking at each other. Like what the heck just happened? (laughs) And Why then... didn't you keep me from doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Told you about yeah. Rashida, bro. And then oh, basically they like they rewind the turn and the game goes on, but he missed the Rashida window. So like not only did yeah. he not put the agenda in there, but like now your opponent knows it's Rashida and you already did your mandatory draw, so you can no longer fire the Rashida. So it's going to sit there for another turn now and occupy the remote. Disgusting. Uh, he did go on to win the game. Oh, wow. So that was that was a relief, <laughs> but but yeah, like we I, that moment just looking at each other, where like he he flipped up the Rashida, saw that it was Rashida, and looked up at me. I can't even describe the look on his face, but it's just like shock. It was at that moment he realized he had fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I had one of the opposite moments with uh, th- there was a game I was playing against sports actually, and I, I had landed one apoc. And sports had responded to the first APOC by over three turns, getting three ice on the remote and zero ice on centrals. And I like looked over at Cranks, show him the APOC in my hand. He looks over at me. He's like, 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's like 90% of what he wants to do in Netrunner. <laughs> yeah. no, actually, I played against Scry in Crown of Servers. And Scry was playing PD at Crown of Servers. This is the last round. Oh, of I, I, I got rolled by Scry in the first round. <laughs> so Scry was playing the PD and I was playing the APOC lat. So like it was going really well for me. And it was like six, it was six points to zero. And basically like the, the game winning turn was he had one ice on HQ and he had two ice on the remote and his turn was install and remote, install, like install and remote, advance the remote, next activation command. And all I had mm-hmm. on the board was boat and Beth. Yeah. And so boat did nothing because I had next activation yeah. command active, but Beth gained me a click. Yeah. And I was, I showed Analyze Chris and Eric my hand. And I was like, should I do this? And <laughs> the hand that i was indicating to them was i have five clicks so i can install in golo to break the ice on hq <laughs> and then run r&d run archives in apoc hell yeah oh. <laughs> yeah so that was the turn was install God, in golo so from hand break your ice on hq and then blow you up through the next activation <laughs> Oh, wow. savage! I, 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 I really savage. want to ask Scry what impact that game had on his decision to play Egg Infusion the next day, because I know that I know that the Snare Bears were dis, were considering like half of them yeah. played PD and half of them played Egg Infusion. Um, well, uh, let's say this, uh, Scry, if you are listening to the podcast, please leave us a five star review telling us if that influenced your decision to play PD to play Egg Infusion. Uh, yeah, yeah. PD versus SAG infusion. Uh, just, just we're just only going to see it if it's five see. stars. Yeah, that's actually how the UI works with uh, Apple Podcasts. 